1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf, and co host,
2: Keith Campagna.
0: Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization, and welcome to Googleization Nation. Uh, We're in our, not sure which week it is of our pandemic, uh, but we're moving toward the end of August, and it's hard to believe it's uh, where the last six months have gone. Uh, We're moving toward summer, uh, not much to look forward to in the fall as far as our typical sports and going back to school, still a lot of debate about that, Uh, but we are glad that you're here. And uh, we've got a great show coming up because, despite all the uncertainty in the world, there is a lot of opportunity that's hanging out there—a lot of unrecognizable opportunity—and and it's standing right in front of our eyes. And this goes not only for HR, uh, small business, large business, for uh, for people's careers, for people as individuals, uh, of what they might do. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, something called the blue ocean. Uh, Blue Ocean Strategy or Blue Ocean Shift, uh, because we're we're all a lot of us are stuck in this red ocean uh, and and basically competing with one another. Uh, We get blinders on it. We've talked in the past about fixed and growth mindset. And we've had so many great guests, Uh, but we're going to be talking about a lot of opportunities. So if someone out there is wondering what's the next stage of their business uh, or what's their next career, what's their next job, um, you're going to find today's show really super helpful. We've got uh, a profession you're probably not familiar with called cultural anthropology. Uh, I don't know if it's an industry, but it's, a, it's a certainly a, a field and a career. And uh, I was exposed to that uh, 20 years ago at an event that was prior to TED Talks. It was very similar to TED Talks. They, I, I remember they had uh, the chairman or the founder of HBO was on there, you know, which now sort of basically mainstream cable and streaming. Uh, but there was somebody on there talking about what the future of uh, entertainment and TV was. Uh, they had the... Um, I think he was a symphony director for not the Boston Pops, but I I guess it was the Boston Symphony. Um, Great guy, um, very entertaining, got a different approach to to how music and culture was part of our lives. But one of the speakers, which just uh, fascinated me, was uh, from a cultural anthropologist. And I tried to go and look up that uh, the name of, of the event and her name. But I remember she was from USC, University of Southern California. And it was fascinating about what uh, cultures, what organizations were going to look like in the future. And this was before social media, and it talked a lot about networking. So really excited to have uh, Andy, Andrea, or Andy, as she goes by, Smith, uh, Simon, uh, Andy Simon on today. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the Blue Ocean, and uh, we're going to talk about her, um, she had a a, a great book out a few years ago called On the Brink. So I guess that relates to when the shift hit your plan. So uh, it's right It's right before the shift hit your plan. We're on the brink. So Keith, um, what's your week been like? How, how how you been doing?
1: Yeah, I'm swimming in my own little blue ocean out here, Ira. You know, it's it's been super fantastic. You know, the, uh, the ROI shop has been getting a lot of attention these last couple of months, just simply based off of the fact that as it turns out, the entire strategy to selling any product has been infected by COVID as well. And so we're just having a great time a meeting and working with a lot of different sales organizations, uh, some of them inside of HR tech, some of them outside of HR tech. But the thing that I'm really excited about is just how well the Blue Ocean strategy plays into the mindset of those people that are out there you know we talk about the gig economy we talk about how there's never a better time than the present moment to be able to get out there get a little uncomfortable and come to a place where you can create something that's new and for those of you that uh aren't up to speed with the terminology the difference between a red ocean and a blue ocean is basically because there are you know if there are a lot of people in the ocean and then the sharks come and the ocean turns red, that means that there's just a lot of stuff going on there you might not want to be in. Whereas an a blue ocean has that much more openness to it. There, there's really an almost limitless opportunity. And a lot of what Andy's going to share with us and a lot of what we're talking about and thinking about here is how can you as an individual or maybe even as a small business or maybe as a large business Trying to figure out your next move. How can you find that fantastic idea that literally opens up the ocean for you, so you could do and and, and accomplish what you want?
0: No, absolutely. That's a that's a great summary there. Uh, and uh, again, we we're going to relate this back uh, because that was my initial uh, kind of when I reached out uh, to Andy uh, about how does this relate to uh, talent? Uh, you know, acquiring top talent. And uh, again, we mentioned, you know, uh, in passing, uh, that you might be searching for a new career. What am I going to do? Am I going to go back to work? You know, what happens when my business reopens? Or hey, maybe I need a new business. So, both from an individual standpoint, but but a business standpoint, uh, the the impact of a um, thinking uh, red and blue ocean. Is uh, is really, really interesting. And we've had other guests on that we talked about. We had uh, uh, Charlene Lee who talked about disruption mindset. And, you know, a, a lot of what she had in there was uh, she didn't call it red and blue ocean, but uh, it's very similar of, of having a plan and a strategy and and uh, where. The Blue Ocean, which we'll get into, talks about the non-customer. Who who are the people that aren't using your services now? Uh, And again, we're talking about it from a business standpoint, but who are the people that you're not reaching? Uh, You can bring that back into place. Uh, If you remember Charlene uh, from the Disruption Mindset, Charlene was talking about the future customer which uh, again, is is just a different approach. Uh, there's a couple other things before we jump into this, want to uh, make sure we thank our sponsors. Again, uh, Zor.ai has been with us for almost a year now, quite hard to believe Keith, <laughs> it's been almost a year uh, that they've been here. And uh, so Zor.ai, uh, and we want to thank them and also Success Performance Solutions. Uh, you'll hear a little bit more about them uh, in in just a few minutes. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to do was uh, we wanna, I want to introduce uh, Andy Simon and uh, get her on so we can start uh, start the conversation going. So uh, Andrea Simon, PhD, or Andy, um, she has been in the field of corporate anthrop- anthropology. You'll hear about that in a second. Uh, she's written a best business book of Uh, 2017 called On the Brink, which is also On the Brink is also the name of her podcast and uh, envious of Andy. She has 150,000 monthly listeners. So I know we're inching our way toward that, but um, I'm envious of of that number and hopefully we're going to get there. Uh, And she's got a brand new book coming out called Rethink smashing the myths of women in business uh, so i oh. uh, do want to be able to ask her about that because that's certainly uh, a lot of things are happening fast and and i don't know if that's going to be one of the the silver linings within the pandemic but uh, uh, I, I think we're going to see a lot of glass ceilings shattered for not only women but for uh, people of color and other minorities uh, there so welcome to geeks geezers and googleization andy Hey, it's such a pleasure to be here. What a treat. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, you're, uh, I think you're on the East Coast. You, You in New York? So, I'm a New Yorker. Uh, I am. Yeah. So you, so you're in. Uh, you're well. You used to be in the hot spot. Now you're in sort of the envious spot <laughs> so, of, of of people. Uh, but I know you. You guys are still struggling uh, a little bit. Life is not normal by any means in, in, in New York. Uh, uh, assuming that's an are <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for, for sure. But there are opportunities. So we're, I'm I'm really excited about you being here. So let's start before we jump into Blue Ocean. Let's let's jump into what your kind of job title is um, because it's a bit unusual. It's something that when you heard anthropology, especially going back to my college days, uh, if you were anthropologist, you were basically out there digging, you know, (laughs) you're almost like as as in an archeologist, but uh, digging around, it wasn't uh, something that rolled off everybody's tongue. You didn't hear a lot of people going into that, but uh, certainly has become much more, um, I guess, popular, these days, but a lot of people are unfamiliar with the term. So, what is a corporate anthropologist? And and you took it a step further into cultural anthropologists.
2: Well, I'm I'm fascinated by your question. People typically say, like you do, I thought anthropologists study small-scale societies, and um, they do. Um, but isn't a business a small-scale society as well? And humans have this uh, great affection for living in groups. groups and they have cultures, they have stories, they have shared beliefs and values and businesses are great places to really step back and use the methodology of anthropology to observe and to see what people are really doing, not just what they say they're doing, but to listen to their stories and begin to capture the essence of their experiences there and that's really important for their customers as well and so i was a um a tenured professor i went into business as a consultant and then i became an executive in banking and in healthcare helping organizations change and after 9 11 i launched my business as a corporate anthropologist that helps companies change and that's really what we specialize in but i will tell you they hired me to help them change not necessarily because i was an anthropologist And it's taken 20 years of developing the expertise and and really creating demand. In a sense, I created a blue ocean. There was an unmet need. People didn't know how to change. We had methodologies to help them, but they weren't aware how. And one of the important parts about opening a new market is to create demand for it. And I have found that blue ocean strategy was a great way to articulate corporate anthropology in a way people were embracing. They've sold 4 million books. I haven't sold 4 million of mine, but it's a great book for us to help share how to see, feel and think in new ways. So what we do is we help you step out and look at what's going on in a fresh way. And then we begin to think about, do I want to imitate or create? So that's sort of the essence of who I am and how I migrated into Blue Ocean. I've done 450 workshops, 500 client engagements all together. Um, it's something we uh, work on a lot and we're getting booked up for next year as well. I hope that helps you.
0: No, absolutely. So we're, we're in this break. I mean, right now we're, you know, we're obviously we're all experienced the pandemic um, as, as a, as the sub, you know, as, as we always talk about the shift hit everyone's plan. Um, we, you know, everybody heard about the future was coming and people were fearful about automation and automation of jobs and, and you uh, uh, you know, again, it, you know, whether it was particular devices, you know, whether it was sensors or 3D printing or AI, you know, that there was this thing that was going to hit everybody, but everybody thought that they had time. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits uh, it didn't, it, it didn't change what was going to happen. It just accelerated the change. So people are scrambling now. And, and a lot of people are, are really in fear, uh, they're not sure. There's a lot of uncertainty. We talk about VUCA all the time You're You're probably familiar. You, you might be familiar with the term VUCA, which is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Yes. Uh, we, we've had uh, speakers on about that. That was uh, for, for anybody who's been following me. You know, that was a topic of my TED talk. Uh, but uh, we had last week we had John Sine, uh who who uh, basically was talking about that and some of the changes. So with, within that, uh, we're moving from this linear somewhat binary choice, predictable world, or, you know, John talked about it as being complicated. You know, now we're in this complex, random, um, you know, highly uncertain, highly ambiguous world. And, uh, you know, within that, um, I guess the question is, is how do we get people to move from that red to blue ocean? Now, I know Keith gave you a little bit of an intro, uh, but kind of let's give the uh I, I'm, I'm interested to hear how you describe it because i know when i'm asked to describe it i sort of give the textbook version of it and some of my you know from my experiences but um, what what you know with with 500 uh workshops and trainings and 20 years of experience doing this you know how do you describe the blue the red blue ocean to someone
2: well you know it's a a, a, a very important question for today for two levels i used to tell people, if you want to change, have a crisis or create one. Who knew I'd have this crisis? Um, <laughs> but if you look at uh, the way we structure our world here, we tend to be imitators, maybe incremental improvers, but we get really comfortable looking like others. Uh, if we're in HVAC or engineering, uh, coding, um, building pools, it doesn't matter. We go to you know, all kinds of mm, events to see what others are doing. Maybe we differentiate ourselves a little bit and claim that we're better than another. But by and large, people have built businesses that are duplicative. They're in a category or a box. That was fine when there was expanding demand. Now there's much more supply than there's demand. There's a lot of roll-ups. I met a gentleman in the H- in the, uh, the uh, benefits business, and all of a sudden, his clients were being all rolled up, and he was losing his whole market space. And that's not uncommon. And another client was finding that his buyers were retiring and the new folks didn't buy through telephonic sales. Next thing we know, things are changing and the supply is growing, but the demand is not. And we have a bloody red ocean, too much competition, imitative, maybe incrementally better. But all of a sudden, there's a huge opportunity for us to pause, step back and rethink, you know, maybe there's a new way. How can I create a market? We look for a couple of things. What's an unmet need? If you listen to your clients, let them talk about what ifs. I had one customer situation where he was out on a sales call and they were selling this wonderful patented product. And the client was saying, this is fine, but what if? Could you? Have you? And he said, oh, my gosh, that's where all the revenue potential was. I had another client who said, oh, we don't sell in the South or Southwest. He's a chapter in my book. And What Michael discovered was that people needed it in places where he had no distribution. And I said, so why don't we distribute down there? His first question is, why do they need it? And I said, why aren't you asking them? They're finding you. And then I had another client who sat on the telephone and listened for two hours, people asking for things that they needed. So the difference between a red ocean where you're just another, to a blue ocean opportunity is where people have unmet needs or non-users who could use you. And think about it, if you don't have a line out the door of potential clients, what could happen if you could rethink your business in a way that had them demanding your services instead of simply finding a solution? And the whole buyer process has changed. Are you using the internet? If you're not, you're missing the marketplace, whether you like Google or not, it's created a whole new marketplace First thing someone's going to do is Google you, and if you don't come up, I mean, we spend a whole lot of time on content marketing, HubSpot partners, and if I don't come up on the first page of Corporate Anthropologist, we were just voted the top corporate anthropology agency in New York, and that's really big stuff, because now people are looking for our services. It's taken 20 years to build that kind of reputation, but we help solve the problem of creating a new market and then creating the demand to make it happen. But it's important for your listeners to understand that they don't have to be bloody. They don't have to be another. Um, the the difference between a bloody red ocean and a wide open blue one, they're both scary. But maybe the demand is there. If only you think outside in, what are customers looking for? And, and for the HR folks today, we can talk about that for a lot. Because everything in how they manage and thought about their employees is going through a great transformation. So that's what a blue ocean and a red ocean are like. Blue oceans, we're looking for non-users and unmet needs. Red oceans, we're just competing.
1: there's There's a step further to that, isn't there, Andy? The idea of HR having to realign with what is out there on a candidate level is one thing, but then we almost want to go a step further and think internally about how much has changed inside organizations and the opportunities that are there. Are you seeing an uptick in internal infrastructure, or are companies still trying to figure out what's, what's going on and, and what happened to them?
2: You know, it's interesting. I belong to the Women's Business Collaborative, and yesterday was a great panel. Um, the head of HR for Deloitte, for Lowe's, and for one other company, I can't remember, were reporting on just that topic. But the research was very compelling. What are they now concerned about? Uh, staff are worried about belonging. Humans belong. They come to work to look at others and share a common culture. They want to have lunch with people. They are full of anxiety about the lack of belonging. The second thing is well-being. We work with a gentleman, and he's focused on wellness within organizations. But now everybody is remote, and we don't even have the pulse of the well-being. What does well-being mean? What's the science of well-being? How do we restore that in our staff so they can work um, actually quite well? And then reskilling. The third thing was do I have the right skills? I never was so remote. And that's a whole, I mean, we, we do a lot of higher ed work, and that's a whole area to jump on because reskilling them means a mindset as much as it is the skill set. And then there's the diversity, equity, and inclusion. What's this going to mean for women of color? What is this going to mean for women in general? You know, what is it going to mean for people who are different from each other and how that cognitive and other diversity brought all kinds of energy into a company? Or is it all going to be diluted now? How will people talk to each other casually? And the last one was the remote work. What does it mean to have a workplace? Now, this was all, to your point at the beginning, this was all starting already. The fourth industrial revolution was pushing people into all parts of the world. I sat with a gentleman from Accenture who had to manage communication for 200,000 remote workers before this all started. My own clients had already had as a benefit, the flexibility of working their style at home. And now they're all at home and they built a whole new plant a whole new building and they want everyone to come back. And they're beginning to say, do I have to come back with a mask on? What's the rituals going to be? Can I take it off? Do I have to sit in my office, my cubicle, uh, all protected? Are you going to take my temperature every day? The rituals of restoration here is not going to be what it was. And so from an HR perspective, it's very interesting to think through your role. Is your role going to be a red ocean where you do the same you did before? Benefits, recruitment, retention, training, or are you going to help create a whole new culture for the organization? And I don't care what size of company you are. We're working with a very large healthcare system and a mid midsize accounting firm. They're all talking about the same thing. Everything I knew from yesterday is past. I have no idea of what the future is. And I feel like a deer in the headlight. I feel like a victim. And these feelings are impacting their sense of anxiety, their mental health. Depression is way up. People need people. So it's going to be an interesting time for HR to um, change their own roles. Um, it's not just to provide the benefits, but it's to really think about culture, like an anthropologist. And we often used to get, I'll, I'll, I'll stop after this thought, but we used to get calls from HR. <clears throat> we have a new CEO, they'd like to change the culture. And I asked gently, what is it now? Well, I don't really know. Well, what do you want to change it to? I really don't know either. <laughs> and so the word culture is sort of one of those blue oceans for for you um time to learn and time to create but this is the way we're seeing it and i um, the timing was perfect because these were very powerful women who were running hr for large companies trying to figure that same question out so it's interesting times
0: so i, I found that one way you know again i, I think i have the original. i've if you've heard me speak in the last couple of weeks i've heard uh i, I i've had the original copy, not not the original copy, but one of the first edition copies of Blue Ocean Strategy. It was on my shelf. I looked at it. I said, this is cool. Um, and then it sat there for six or seven years. And then uh, a few years ago, somebody sent me as a gift uh, when the second version came out. And I looked at it and it still sat there. And it wasn't until just uh, basically within the past year, although I loved the concept of it, that it started to come up over and over again. And you don't know this, um, Andy, but uh, I actually was hired to create a graduate new graduate program in leadership. And the my course is organizational change. So I was looking for a, a format, a structure, put it in the, some context. And so I pulled, I dusted off my old copies of Blue Ocean and I really, you know, dove dove into it and it re- resonated but what what helped me resonate what and we'll we'll get this when we come back from a break because we're we're coming up right against it i'd like to share some stories uh i know you have a few i was listening to your book uh and there's some really good stories that resonate to say Oh, yeah, I was I know people that are in that position or my company's in that position now. Uh, But there was a couple good stories in Blue Ocean, uh, one that really resonated with me. And I can't remember the name. Maybe you do. Uh, But it was about the ironing about the steamer. Yeah. You you, you recall that? Yeah. So when we come back, if you could share that and then we'll talk about some of your stories and then we'll go into how that relates to uh, talent acquisition uh, and uh, hiring because people are still really struggling with that. Uh, you've been listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Uh, we've got our guest today, uh, Andy Simon. Uh, she is a corporate or cultural anthropologist, uh, and she is a, a strategist for, uh, or she u- utilizes uh, the Blue Ocean Strategy. Uh, She's certified in that. We are very thankful for having Zor.ai and Success Performance Solutions as our sponsors. You'll hear from them in just a minute. Uh, And we'll be back. Uh, Stay tuned. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about some companies that utilize Blue Ocean Strategy and have become enormously successful of identifying opportunities standing right in front of them. (music) Hiring top talent shouldn't be left up to the roll of the dice. And yet, that's exactly what many organizations do. They roll the dice, cross their fingers, and pray for a better outcome. Hiring the right employees the first time is much too important and way too costly to leave to a game of chance. Your employees and your customers deserve better. For 25 years, Success Performance Solution has been helping small and medium-sized businesses hire smarter. They offer pre-employment and leadership assessments from typing and data entry, to C-suite competence. Whether it's production, sales, healthcare, call centers, or management, Success Performance Solutions can help. Visit their website at www.successperformancesolutions.com to schedule a free demo or call
1: 800-803-4303. Imagine how your company would grow if your candidate experience earned a 99% approval rating. Well to get to 99%, you need the three best letters in recruitment technology, XOR. Zor's text bots, chat bots, and audio bots increased IKEA's candidate conversion rate 455%. Zor decreases candidate drop-off rates, improves your candidate experience, and collects analytics for future strategies. To learn more, check out Zor.ai. That's XOR.ai. Oh
0: your <laughs> welcome back everyone to the geek skeezers and googleization show i'm your host ira wolf with my co-host keith compagna and we've got andy simon today andy is a corporate anthropologist we're talking about blue ocean strategy we're also talking about her book uh on the brink and her new book called rethink smashing the myths of Women in Business, which should be out in just a few months. Uh, Andy, right before we took a break, I mentioned, uh, and I still don't remember the name. It didn't come back to me. It will come back to me right after the show ends. Uh, But in Blue Ocean Strategy, they talked, one of of the stories that really resonated uh, with me, and I saw how it related to uh, HR and to talent acquisition, was the story uh, about the company who um, basically made ironing. They made irons. And uh, they, the, the you know it's a small appliance and the, it, very competitive. Uh, nothing you nothing necessarily unique about it. So they they ended up competing with all their competitors on price. Uh, and someone came up the with the idea of a steamer. And uh, I know every time we travel, my wife packs it and and we use that. I don't even know if we own a, an iron anymore. But they the when they the way they gave it the marketing to market. Marketing looks at it and um, started to go after the same market they always did, women, because that's who ironed. And they said, no, 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 we're going after a new customer base. We're going after men (laughs) who either travel or men who live alone, uh, or we're going after young adults, and they're all in small apartments, they don't have room for an iron, they're an ironing board, Uh, that's the market. And what it did was it opened my eyes to say, who are the people that could be using your, your device, your services, your products, uh, but aren't? And maybe you need to package it slightly different, or maybe you need to change it a little bit. Or as we were talking about in the first part of the show, maybe it's a new product that you just weren't serving up. So I know you have some other stories, um, uh, again, that that people can relate to because they're, they're recognizable brand names such as Starbucks and Southwest and... If you like wine, Yellowtail. So.
2: Well, and the the story is a perfect one that you're illustrating. I want people who are listening to think about things that are familiar today, but didn't really start out that way. So I always love the Yellowtail story because the folks from Blue Ocean Strategy worked with the folks from Yellowtail. When they came in, they're an Australian wine. And when they came into the U.S., there were about 2,500 competitors and only 15% of Americans drank wine, seriously. So there's a whole lot of red ocean competition for one Bordeaux or another charade. didn't much matter what you made. You had the vineyards. You were very prestigious about them. You advertised into a market that was very niche um, And they failed. Nobody drank it. Nobody bought It, it didn't matter what the price was. So when they went back and the Blue Ocean folks teamed up with them, they went exploring. There's an important part of Blue Ocean thinking where you have to go visually exploring. That's why it was so appealing to me as an anthropologist. And they went exploring to see what people bought and how they bought it and how they drank it. And what they found was people were walking out of stores with huge boxes of, and they drank a lot of liquor and they had soda. They had a lot of different things that they could drink besides wine. And unless you had an educated palate or you really understood wines, you felt a little in- And so they went after that non-wine drinker. Now think about how bold that is. You know, you've got a lot of wine out there competing for a small part of the American audience and you're going after 85% of them with a wine that's going to be simple and easy to drink. And what they did that's so important was they, they didn't create another bottle of Shiraz They took away all the vineyards, and they created a red, a yellow, an orange, a green. They color-coded the bottles. They made the white and the reds in the same shape, so they had lots of efficiencies. And then they built a whole campaign about there's never a bad time for the right wine. And they went out there and gave yellowtail jackets and hats. They had trucks. They had all kinds of ways of creating demand to have people taste it. And all of a sudden, I took off. I, I knew a liquor store owner who said he had to pay a premium to bring the wine in because it was bringing non-wine drinkers into his store to buy Yellowtail. He actually had it right by the cash register. $699 bottles of wine, all up against 35 and 40 and $50 bottles of wine. And they also set it up on a way where you could stack the cases and create your own station. So that way they didn't have to take a red bottle and put it against a Merlot or a Bordeaux. Where would you put it? It's not the same as. It's a whole new category, a new box, a new sandbox. They have sold a billion bottles of wine to non-wine drinkers because it's never a bad time for the right wine. I met a woman who bought only Yellowtail for her parties, and I said to her, what'd you buy? She said, a red, a green, a yellow, an orange. I said, what kind of wine? She said, I have no idea, but I'm covered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so think about how they created a new category, a little bit out of a crisis. I wasn't selling well. Uh, and, and then there's the Southwest who went after people who could drive. So I, I'm in um, Reno, I have to go to San Francisco. I could fly American, my normal plane, down to Los Angeles and back again, four hours, $250. Or I could drive, or I could take Southwest from Reno to Oakland. I was 60 bucks, 45 minutes, I carried my own bag, whole different experience. The packaging here is important to understand. And so the reason I like to share share those is that when I go out to my own clients and the stories in my book have lots of blue ocean opportunities, is usually opportunities are right there in front of you and you're just not seeing them. Your brain has a different mind map in it, a different story. And so two of my clients, my favorite stories, and they're in the book, one is Hurley Medical Center, and, and Hurley had really saturated the market in terms of going after women and the doctors had their hours set up for women and women were the core decision makers. But what we learned was that only about 40% of men had a doctor and they typically use the emergency room for acute situations and they had no options. So going after men and men's health became a huge opportunity going after non-users. The Cleveland Clinic has a huge men's health center just along the same lines. And so that became an interesting way to rethink what we're doing. But one of the doctors said to me, well, this is tough because I'm only open from you know eight to five and they're working. So when will I see them? And I said, well, this is interesting. How about if you had after hours for them or you actually had an office inside the plant? This is GM territory. Then there's the water fountain. I mean, I have a hundred. Some of you have seen LK's water filler stations that sit on top of their water fountains. And and they met us at a workshop we were doing, and we worked with them on several occasions. Um, but this particular time, they had an award-winning filler station to go on top of the water fountains. They have 80% of the water, water fountains. Nobody was going to buy more of them. It was by code. And this new water filler station would let you put the bottle underneath and fill it automatically. And they weren't selling. And we're trying to sell it through the same distribution channel, a little like your iron. And what they found was that nobody wanted to add a cost to the water fountain, except universities. And Allegheny College was buying them, NYU was buying them, and they had no idea why they were buying them. In fact, their marketing person said, oh, I delete those emails from students who are asking how they can get them on their campus. So we went out visually exploring to find out what was going on. And what we found out was that the universities wanted to stop the sale of plastic bottles, They wanted to fix the landfill problem. They didn't want to fill the bottle. They wanted to kill the bottle. And I got to tell you, when the guys in the room said, oh, my gosh, they don't want to fill the bottle. They want to kill the bottle. The whole room went shh. And the last time I worked with them, it now represented 25% of their billion dollar business. And not just because people had a whole new purpose for them. So all of this is telling you that sometimes we get stuck in our own assumptions And I push you to go out and see what are people really trying to do? Because if you can see that unmet need or the non-user, there's a blue ocean waiting for you. And it's not, nobody's competing in it. Nobody's even paying attention to it. So those are the kinds of things that get us very excited. I'll also tell you that new clients look at us and put us in a closet. Because at the beginning, they say we have, and and, and then they say, oh, please don't. (laughs) It's not easy. (laughs) And I met, I saw Renee at a conference last April. And she said, is this really that hard? He so you just challenging everything people believe to be true. But other than that, <laughs> it's a piece of cake. Once you get going, I have a university and the president, there um, was a chapter uh, in my new book. And Maria Gallo said, my gosh, now everybody thinks blue. They don't say we don't do that. They say, how can we do that? And that's what happens when the mind changes and you're giggling. And I like to laugh as well because this isn't easy. But once you get going,
1: you don't go backwards.
0: And so we, uh, we have, oh, go
1: I'm ahead. Sorry. It's that free-flowing idea exchange where there's no wrong step. There's no wrong answer. It's just let's look at 2 plus 2 again. We know it's 4, but can it be 2.5 plus 1.5? Can it be any varying degree? Is there a step one, Andy, before that where uh, like how do you prep your clients or how do you prep people when they might come into the room for the first time and be skeptical of another new idea exercise. That's an interesting question, great question.
2: Uh, Typically how we proceed is if we can, we ask them to go out and talk to a customer and listen to them talk about pain points, unmet needs and challenges. What are the trends that are upsetting them? Begin to listen, not for what I can do for you, but for what if I could do that for you. And just listen. And I tell them, don't sell anything. Just bring back ideas. Open your mind to the unmet needs. It may even be too far to go to non-users right away. Um, But we, we encourage them to go and just listen. I have one client and I went and I interviewed 12 of their clients and took all the recordings back and let them hear them. Oh, my gosh, they weren't very complimentary. It was very interesting. But then we started with a visual awakening. There's some tools. We have a strategic canvas process where you map out what you're investing in now and what your competition is. And and then we play a game, part of the blue ocean strategy methodology, but we're innovation games trained and facilitators. And we play a game called Reverse Everything. And everything you do today, you're not going to do tomorrow. And things you don't do today, you're going to do lots of tomorrow. And then you let the team come up with ideas. And the research is extremely compelling. The more ideas you have, the more likely you have big ones and they come at the intersections. So it becomes really interesting to watch a diverse group of people begin to come up with ideas simply because the process tells them what you did now you're not gonna do anymore. What could you do? One guy said, I have a million dollar idea sitting here. I've spent noodling around and it came together because my guys all of a sudden saw possibilities. So to your point, um there's process. Um, you can go wandering, but I like the process because it puts it into a, what happens next. I've got all these ideas, and now what do I do with them? And so we have a process for that, too, because you got to begin to see which ones you're going to do now, which ones are great wow ones, which ones are how ones, what are you going to eliminate? It's the whole approach it gives you tools that are not that complicated but are really systematic so that you can take all the ideas you have. And turn them into something that's a new uh, opportunity. So we say we take observations, turn them into innovations, and then help you make it happen. And that's really the value of a little anthropology. So that's that's how we can do it. You can do it
1: yourselves. Fantastic! Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, and and I know
0: You know, again, you know, we've had a hundred and. 10 shows under our belt in the last two years and lots of conversation, lots of webinars and live streams. Uh, so you've probably heard, many of the listeners probably heard this before, but, um, you know, one of the things that I, that we've talked about are touch points along the way. You know, what are the things that like a candidate going back to HR, what a candidate, uh, I'm looking for a job. What's the first thing I do? Well, I pull out my smartphone. Uh, smartphone. What do they? You know what? How do they look? Do they? Do they, Do they go to Indeed? No, they go to Google. They do a Google search. Um, what's the experience? You know, how do they find those companies? So I know part of you know what you were talking about, Andy, and I know what part of the blue ocean strategy. Uh, just to give people a takeaway is observe. But sometimes stand in the, your customer or your consumer or your job seeker shoes. Uh, it still shocks me of how many times you'll say, "Well, how many people actually applied for a job at your own business?" And they go, "Well, we did when we bought the when we bought the software, or or um, you know we did that a while ago, or that's not my job." Where anybody, any recruiter, anybody in HR management, should periodically apply for a job at their own company just to see what the experience is like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, otherwise they get that detachment. Um, as I said right before we went on the air, where you know this always goes incredibly fast. I want to be able to cover uh, an important subject, and I know Keith had suggested that too when we were on our break. Um, you've got a new book coming out, "Rethink: Smashing the Myths of Women in Business." Uh, we're out of time. Uh, where where, uh you know not only do we have a social unrest uh, but finally women seem to be cracking there's cracks it's not it's not through it yet but cracking some of the glass ceiling so how has I assume you're using a similar approach a blue ocean uh, for that uh, and maybe maybe that's a false assumption but so talk a little bit about where you're headed with that and we again we have like four or five minutes left so
2: well, and thanks for the opportunity because actually, Renee Mabon, who wrote Blue Ocean, has given me the uh, the review on the cover of the book. Um, oh, wonderful. And cool. she, it, it is, but it is a That's time. Wonderful. Well, so interesting about it, and the illustrative case studies in there, and the how to that I developed at the end, and how we're developing an online program to help women rethink their own journeys is that there's a new market emerging, call it the women is creating a new culture. There are 400,000 attorneys now who are women. There are 65% of the accountants are women, over half the doctors, over half the dentists, over half the workers. 40% of the businesses in the U.S. are run by women now. If you just pause and say there's something going on here bigger than a bear, there's a transformation happening it's opening it up, and the what's happening is women are helping women. Women lead differently. So there's a chapter in there about a woman who couldn't lead, but she's led three companies to great growth, just leads differently. The guys see it differently. There's a woman in there who's a lady lawyer who is extremely successful, and she was told, don't be a lady lawyer. A woman in Geosciences, who was told, no, you never can go in the field. And she was the best at finding oil fields. There's something in their stories that become role models for other women and for girls. And I'm hoping to take the book down into the um, into the teen audience and next. But I also want to give people a hand to make it happen for them. And I will tell you, I have a dozen women already who are helping me develop this program because they're ready to rethink their own journeys. It's a great time for women. Now it's never been a great time for women because the guys keep wanting to keep us back in the household, <laughs> and that the pandemic is causing lots of discussion about what will this mean for women, their careers, diversity. But the change, well, I'll start where I I'll end where I started. If you want to change, have a crisis or create one. Don't waste a crisis. There's an opportunity here for something quite remarkable, and women are helping women in ways that are just unheard of. And it's and society is going to benefit from it. If you think of the women who run countries, whether it's Germany or New Zealand or Iceland or the Netherlands, all run by women leaders, and their coronavirus solutions were very successful. Well, what about the guys? Interesting times. I love it.
0: I love yeah, it. That's for sure. And and again, I think a great opportunity, you know, even beyond women, um, you know, again, with, uh, in fact, we've got a, a webinar tomorrow, and we're talking about, um, the velocity of opportunity that's mm-hmm. out there. So every, a lot of people have been given opportunity. Companies say that, oh yeah, we, we have blacks. We, we have women represented. Uh, we have LGBT represented. We, we have that, but then when it gets down to, are they all given equal opportunity to get training, to get advanced, to get mentored? Um, you know, it's way beyond pay equity. So, again, the the concepts and the challenges that are out there are enormous. But last week uh, I mentioned John a again. And so I we he was on our podcast and I did an interview with him. Um, he talked about feminine leadership. He thought that as a futurist, yes. he saw the feminine style of leadership was our out was our future. Yes. And, um, and that was coming from a man, so <laughs> so uh, but 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 I don't think you'll get any argument from Keith or me as well. No, so.
2: but that, you can add one thought there, and that is the relationship between men and women are going through its own transformation, and that by itself is really cool. And you guys are terrific. And this has been a great time, so I appreciate the opportunity to share. Thank you so much.
0: Uh, thank you. Well, our very pleasure. Much. so how can how can people get a hold of you,
2: Andy? Sure. Um, you can look at my website, andysimon.com. That's A-N-D-I, simon.com. That's where the book is. and a new book coming out and my podcast, simonassociates.net, is our website. There's a ton of stuff on Blue Ocean there, videos and training, all kinds. We make it easy for people to become comfortable with something that they're uncomfortable with. And I'd be delighted. There's our contact page there. Just reach me at um, a simon at simonassociates.net is my email. And I love to share it. It's nice to be at help.
1: Yes. Thank you. You've Appreciate got you've got you're doing great work. You have been. And I get the sense that you're you might be more excited today than ever based off of the opportunities inside of today's crisis. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. As as I've said this, and you'll probably share this sentiment, the, the world caught up to me. <laughs> in in, 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 the, in the in the during the pandemic, so uh we we've been uh, actually doing doing well and exciting and uh you know where many people are figuring out uh, hey, maybe I should get out now i'm you know I, I'm diving in. So it's the mm-hmm. millennial and the baby boomer body, and it sounds very much like you're there too, Andy. So I really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for sharing, and uh, we'll we'll definitely be in touch because hopefully we can uh, bring you back on at some point. Because uh, again, all, all everything we talked about today is uh, is, is just going to continue. So at the thank
2: time you. changing. Thank you. Bye bye. Yeah. stay safe. You too.
0: So, Keith, a um, little bit more about Blue Ocean there. You, you've heard me talking about it and, and, and pitching it up. So I was uh, thrilled that we could have Andy on the show today. Uh, and I mentioned this just a, a few minutes in passing. But uh, so we're, we're Wednesday. This will be on Thursday. So if you don't get it live, you can get the, uh, the, uh, the replay. Uh, but tomorrow we're talking with the Dr. Shalange, uh, Solange Shirah. Nice. And uh, the show—we actually have a uh, hundred and some people signed up already. Uh, so there's a few seats left. We are capped, uh, I think, at a 125 or so. Uh, but uh, we've got a lot of people, and we're going to be talking about quantifying diversity and equity. And she had this great concept that came up, and uh, you know, that was talking about, yeah, you got all the EEO quotas, you got you meet all the EEO guidelines, but is everybody given the equal opportunity. And she asked, she started to ask questions, and she's a data scientist, by the way. So right. she, she's got the evidence. She started to ask all these questions are, what's the attrition rate of, of all your ethnic groups and your races and your gender? Not, not do you meet the hiring criteria, but do different ethnic groups or genders or um, races leave at a higher rate? Uh, does everybody given the same opportunity to enter into training programs? Um, pretty amazing. So, uh, if you're interested in signing up for that, there's still a few seats, uh, crowdcast.io that's C R O W D C A S T.io forward slash Ira Wolf. Uh, you can register there. You can also view the, um, replay at the same place. If you can't make it 2 PM Thursday, uh, quantifying, diversity and equity uh keith any final words
1: no embrace the change other than just keep embracing the change out there folks you're either on one side or the other you either feel like you're the victim or you feel like you're about to become victorious stay focused surround yourself with positive ideas positive people keep coming back to the geeks geezers and googleization show and uh there's anything we can do please contact us and we are looking for sponsors so oh, get it out there. Get your word out there. Get your brand out there. Thanks, yeah. And, 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 and one final thing. Uh, if you've been listening
0: uh, on a podcast, if you're listening live, but if you listen on the podcast, uh, please go up and leave a review, do a rating, especially on Apple. Um, you know, we'd like to, to grow that list. I know we get a lot of comments. I get feedback on LinkedIn and email and, and people just tell me in passing uh, that they love the show. But uh, please leave a review that that helps. It spreads the word. Uh, we want to thank ex- Thanks again to everybody who has been listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show and being part of Googleization Nation. Uh, if you don't belong to if you're not getting our subscription or our emails, go to GoogleizationNation.com. It's free. Sign up uh, every week. I'm sending out a an update of what's going on in our world. Uh, thanks again to Zor.ai and Success Performance Solution for helping us be on the air. And as Keith said, if you're looking, uh, if, if you've got a business that you'd like to be part of and like us to help you spread the word, uh, please contact us. Uh, next week, uh, we're back Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, W4CY.com, or you can catch any of our replays on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeart. Uh, or wherever you listen to your podcast. So until next week, this is Ira Wolf and Keith Compagna. Don't let the shift hit your plans.